Oh, that was my fault. <laughs> Thank you for the team of people who helped uh, set us up um, here, and uh, I will do my best to not tear us down. Um, so sorry. Well, again, welcome to our Advent season. We are actually doing an old school Advent traditional candle lighting all the way through. Um, uh, earlier this year, it might have been even last year, uh, Carla Lorig, our director of children's ministry, had mentioned in a staff meeting that since my arrival, I had spent each uh, Advent season focused on one specific theme of Advent, hope, joy, peace, and love over the first four years I was here. And she said, well, you should just do it all like a traditional thing this next year. And I said, absolutely, that's a great idea. And so uh, we are going to be focusing on all four of those themes, uh, as you see here set up at least. Uh, as long as I don't go that way, you can see um, set up here. And today our focus is on hope. Hope in the darkness. Set our thoughts on that direction. Let me say something. I've got to break some truth to you all. Hallmark movies are not real. I'm sorry. I know. It's almost as bad as saying, well, no, I won't say that part yet. All right. That's right. Hallmark Christmas movies aren't real. They're sterile. They're stage serials, essentially telling the same story over and over. They're like faux wood furniture. And you can tell when you're watching one that you're always on a set somewhere. You're never somewhere in reality, in the real world. You're always on a set I mean, even the sunlight feels like fake somehow. We recently had family visit with us, and my sister is a big Hallmark uh, Christmas movie fan, and so naturally we happily watched a few of them when they were with us over the holiday. And she informed me, stuff that I, I wasn't aware of, that there are essentially like maybe two to three or four new Hallmark Christmas movies every week, uh, basically running from Thanksgiving or earlier until Christmas. So not only are they plastic, but they are also mass-produced for the masses. Yet nothing about them, and I, I watched a couple in disbelief, A, that I was watching them, and then B, the disbelief of what I was watching. Nothing about them really relates to real life, which is probably a big reason why there's such a loyal following to the Hallmark Christmas movie. Because real life is hard. Real life is harsh. Real life has gloom and darkness. Real life has real kinds of consequences. And there's really no hope from a Hallmark world for the pain of real life in our hard one. It's just a, a short-term escape, a distraction. As I reflect on that, and as I think about the things that go on in my own life, my own family, my own relationships, as I'm sure that you can do quickly right now in just your own life, your own situations, your own circumstances, your own relationships. We really need a real hope in this real hard world. We really do. We don't want a faux hope, a fake hope, a plastic hope, a hope that looks good on set. We need something real. A hope that relates to this life. Fortunately for us, the Bible gives us that real hope because the Bible doesn't sterilize its message. It doesn't set it up in such a way that like, it's just sort of faux hope. 
It's wishful hope. It, it actually gets into the real of our world and our life, and it talks about the things that are gloomy and dark. It doesn't hide from that, doesn't escape it, doesn't seek to distract us from the hard and harsh of this life. In fact, it's very straightforward with it. And I think, wonderfully so, because that's then where the hope kind of meets the street level of our lives, into the curb and into the gutter even, if we feel like we're in it. If the Bible is, is pretty straightforward about the things that are hard and dark and gloomy, then its hope is relevant for the life that is in that which is hard and dark and gloomy. And that's what our Old Testament and New Testament readings were leading us to see this morning. Is that we can have a real hope. A real hope in a real dark world or real dark life. And so we want to go about experiencing this sort of hope. We want to experience hope in the darkness. And there's a couple of things that we need to do in order to go about experiencing hope in the darkness. And one is to acknowledge our reality of darkness. That we acknowledge our reality of darkness. Thankfully, the Bible is doing that for us. But we ourselves need to acknowledge that too. We need to acknowledge this is a dark place. We may even have dark hearts. And then from that, we can embrace God's means of hope. When we get honest about that which is dark, then we can embrace that which God is providing. We embrace God's means of hope. So let's walk through that together this morning for our encouragement. So we need to go about acknowledging our reality of darkness. And there's a question that I want to lob out to everybody. It's going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable, and that's okay. As long as we get all the way through this message to that which will lead us forward out of that uncomfortableness, and that is this. What kind of darkness do you sit in? What kind of darkness do you sit in? There are two kinds that we find uh, in the Bible. One is the darkness of our own sin. The darkness of our own sin. In Isaiah 8, 21 and 22, which we heard earlier, it described it in this way about God's people, mind you. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God and turn their faces upward. And they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. They are experiencing, the people of God here in this portion of Isaiah are experiencing the consequences of their own sin. Their darkness, their gloom, their spiritual gloom and anguish is their own. Not the terrible enemies around them or the hard world that is all about. It's actually their own sin. The darkness they're in is that of their own sin. They are experiencing spiritual gloom, which is the anguish of the soul. This gloom is the overcast of the soul by the weightiness of something not right, of something broken. In Isaiah, this gloom belonged to the people of God because they rejected God. And the judgment of God came in the form of foreign nations laying waste to the people in their places. The thought of hope was nowhere to be found, let alone the experience of it. I mean, just think about those words that we read. You heard read to you now twice. The gloomy condition brought on by sin, their own sin. They were greatly distressed. They were hungry. 
They were enraged, contemptuous, distress and darkness, gloom of anguish. They were thrust into thick darkness. Certainly these physical features were actual for them in many ways. They were real. They were experiencing these things physically and really, but they were pointing to the spiritual reality of the anguish of their own souls, the darkness of their own sin. Is this the darkness you struggle with? Let's, let's take our point, acknowledge the reality, the darkness in which we live in. Part of our embracing and experiencing hope is that we are honest about the darkness that we're in. So is this your darkness? Have you gone about abandoning God and living your own way? While at the same time trying to claim God and His way. It's hard and it's uncomfortable, but maybe a lot of your anguish is due to that break in thought and belief and word and action. This sort of darkness will eat away at us from the inside. And there's really no escaping it or distracting from it. It will gnaw, it will nag, and a word, it will be anguish. That's one of the kinds of darknesses that we experience in this life, in this world. The second is not just the darkness of our sin, but then the darkness of this hard world. So the things around us, life is hard and evil is real, and sometimes terrible things happen. Sometimes there is great loss and upheaval in our lives. It can be very overwhelming. Maybe maybe you are facing things right now that feel oppressively dark. And maybe you go about your days, each day feeling like it's a low-hanging winter storm cloud following you out. It blocks out the sun in the middle of the day. Maybe you are in the dark and you're crying out, Why, God? Or where are you, God? Or how long, God? Perhaps it's a medical diagnosis that changes everything. Perhaps it's chronic physical pain that just wins every day and you end in spiritual gloom. Or maybe you're longing for a good thing And it just continues to go unmet. And perhaps it's even darker. Like trying to live in light of the sinful actions of someone else against you. Their actions were verbal, emotional, relational, physical, worse. It's a dark world that we live in. We cannot pretend that it isn't. And these things can be heavy for us. And it seems that as the holidays come upon us, that heaviness feels even more weightier. You might be startled to learn that the Bible lives in this sort of world. It doesn't hide from it. It doesn't seek to escape it, but rather acknowledges it. I'd encourage you to scan the Psalms Keep in mind, the Psalms were the songbook of the Old Testament people of God. 
And they sang all kinds of songs, didn't they? They sang songs of God's greatness and his worthiness. And you know what else they sang together as a people? They sang songs of cries and laments, even when the harsh world around them makes no sense at all. So I ask, is this the sort of darkness that you struggle with? The reality of this hard and harsh world? Are these the things that are weighing on you? Acknowledge these things. Don't hide from them. Don't seek to cover them up. Don't seek to domesticate them as if you could somehow control them. Acknowledge them. And as you do, know that there is hope even here in the dark. There's hope even here in the dark. And that's what we see continue on in Isaiah. So Isaiah ends with, 8 ends with the the gloom of everyone, of God's people. They're, they're feeling the weight of the consequences of their own sin and the actions of this hard and harsh world around them. They look around and they scan and they have no reason for hope. And it's in that moment, that overwhelming moment, overwhelmed by their own sin, overwhelmed by a hard world, in which that ember of hope comes. So let us then embrace God's means of hope because God promised that very light of hope. The encouraging thing as we read through verses 1 and 2 of Isaiah 9 is that the gloom and the anguish and the dark, they will not win. Read again those words. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the later time, He has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Get this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light. The sin-wrought gloom is displaced by the promise of and ultimate fulfillment of God's purposes here. The her and the anguish here refers to God's people under the crushing gloom of exile. And all of that will be experienced from the furthest regions all the way to the closest place. This promise starts here in in Zebulun and Naphtali and it goes out to the expanse of the entire scope of how this great reversal will be felt and experienced. How light will dawn on these dark places. And this is most unexpected. Isaiah 9 is most unexpected in light of the overwhelming darkness and condition of Isaiah 8. And maybe that's how you feel. Maybe hope would be so unexpected because of the the crushing weight of the darkness that you sit in. Whether it's your own darkness or the darkness of this world. And you just think there isn't. I look around and I just don't see any hope. Well, Isaiah 9 is a It's an incredible evidence of the grace of God. It's all of grace. The people of God rejected him. They rejected him in their beliefs. And and then they turned around and they acted religiously and expected God to accept him. They rejected him and then yet wanted God to accept them because of their religious performance. That darkness was blinding for them. And yet... In the midst of that darkness and in the midst of God's justice over it, he's right in his actions and his judgments. He's not wrong. 
God was still yet graciously announcing the greatest news of all, that a light will shine in the deepest of darkest of places. It's casting their eyes up to hope. Hope in the one who would then fulfill these very words. The advent of Jesus is the arrival of hope. Advent just simply means the arrival. And so in Jesus' arrival in the incarnation comes the arrival of hope. The kind of hope that will shine in the deepest, darkest of places. Whether it's in this world or in our own hearts. There is no darkness too thick that this light won't burn through. It is greater than that which is dark. In Luke 1, we see all this anticipation of hope in the darkness dawning. John the Baptist's father sang a song about this hope. Not just the hope tied to his son, John the Baptist, but the ultimate hope his son, John the Baptist, would be pointing to. At the end of the passage that was read from the New Testament. We find these words in Luke 1, 76 through 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness. And in the shadow of death, guide our feet into the way of peace. Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, was the precursor to Jesus. He was to go ahead of Jesus and prepare the people for his arrival. Jesus, then, is the incarnation of God's tender mercy. Jesus is the sunrise of hope. Jesus is the light that burns off the darkness. And get this, Jesus doesn't enter into a set a, a carefully manufactured set designed to give the appearance of real. Jesus entered all the way into our world, into our humanity, to do what we couldn't do and to give what we couldn't gain, to overcome a dark that we couldn't see ourselves through. We just groped around in the spiritual gloom of our own hearts, in the hardened and harshness of this world. And Jesus entered in with a light greater than that dark. Greater than our dark. All the way in. And and it's Jesus who deals with both darknesses. The dark of our own heart and the dark of the world around. He entered in to deal with both. And that was the plan. Jesus entered into our dark world and took on our humanity and sin. He didn't dodge it. He didn't treat it in some faux way. He embraced our darkness in order to give us light so that we who sit in darkness can see and live. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus entered into our world and took on our humanity to take on the penalty of our own sin to take on the darkness of our sin. And he, he did so to give, us, to give us what we could never get on our own and gain on our own, to give us this right standing with God as if we never sinned. He who never sinned took on the penalty of our sin, and we who only sinned gained the right standing of the Son. 
This is hope that burns off all the darkness. All the dark in our hearts. And it gives us confidence about it burning off all the dark in this world. The darkness of this world can't overcome the light of hope in Jesus. In the land of darkness comes a light that brings real hope. John's beginning of his gospel says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And one day, you who sit in darkness of this hard world, this harsh world, who feel the weight of things that feel too much for you to bear, one day, all the shadows of night and dark will be no more. Jesus' second advent will be the forever removal of darkness and gloom and shadows of such. His first advent is the defeating of the darkness of sin in our own hearts, and his second advent will be the total removal of darkness from all of the cosmos and everywhere in between. Revelation 22 Verses 3 and 5 put it this way. At his second advent, there will no longer be anything accursed. And night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. The consequences and realities of our sin may make for a very complicated life for us. Understand that. The hardness and the harshness of this world isn't just simply going to go away because you trust God. We will live in this. We will face the dark each and every day. But the dark does not win. The dark has actually already been defeated. The light and hope of that victory will be known in full when the second advent dawns that glorious day. We need to embrace this. This is our means of hope, whether it's darkness within or with around. We embrace it. And how do we go about embracing it? Well, we embrace it through faith. We embrace it through faith. It's our means of experiencing hope. And faith is saying two things. One is acceptance of the real, that only Jesus is worthy of all of my trust. Faith is saying only Jesus is worthy of all of my trust. He lived the life that I could not live and died a death that I deserved to defeat an enemy I could never, long, never, ever overcome on my own. And that I can't put my trust and my hope in anything else because nothing else can do those things. So faith is the acceptance of this. It is saying it is only Jesus and all of Jesus and no, nothing but Jesus. is our only means of hope. But faith is also... A rejection of that which is counterfeit, which is foe, which is fake, which is empty, which cannot take on the weight of overcoming the darkness of our sin and the darkness of this world. And saying nothing else is worthy of all my trust. Faith is doing both. It is saying both. Only Jesus is worthy of all my trust and nothing else is worthy of all my trust. It's coming to the end of our rope into ourselves and saying, I have nothing else to bring that I can't even bring. I come empty 
and to the cross I cling. Saying it is only Christ. Nothing else. In whatever darkness you sit, there is a light that consumes the dark. This light is Jesus, the one who brings hope no matter the depth of the dark. And this hope is real and relevant for what we wrestle with personally and in this world. And all that is sunk under the heavy shadows of what is broken, we have a hope that is real. We don't need to chase after that which is plastic and mass-produced and marketed. We have real hope in our real lives because of a real Savior who really defeated a real darkness. And is this we set our hearts on, this kind of hope in these kinds of darknesses. May that fuel our encouragement this first Sunday of Advent. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are real about the dark and greater than it. You entered in all the way in, all the way into the darkness of a tomb to rescue us from it. And not only do you rescue it from us, you rescue us from the darkness of our own hearts, but you will also rescue us from the darkness of this world. And so may this first advent fuel us with hope in that which will come at the second advent, which we'll know in full measure. The only hope that we can ever have, the hope of the light of the world, our Savior Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.